Just one thing before we do jump into today's show, and that is my Beyond the Game newsletter. Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides something to stoke your curiosity before the sporting weekend? Hundreds of parents, coaches, and community sport leaders subscribe to my free newsletter called Beyond the Game. Basically, it includes a short insight from me that I've been pondering during the week, a key finding from the latest research I've been reading, as well as a cool idea from one of the inspiring minds who come on this podcast. It's all designed to help you support your athletes to be the very best that they can be. So if that sounds fun, again, it's very short, just a little goodness before you dive into your busy weekend of sport. If you'd like to try it out, just head over to athletedevelopmentproject.com forward slash newsletter. Type in your email and you'll get the very next one. Cool. Thanks for listening. Kia ora and welcome to the Athlete Development Show podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Craig Harrison, sports scientist, coach, and researcher focused on the developing athlete. On the show today, I'm winding the clock back to May 2020 when I sat down with my good friend, Samuel McKenzie. In 2019, Sam completed his master's degree at AUT University, which focused on first 15 rugby players' perceptions of their coaching environment. Sam's research findings have had a huge impact on the way I think about environments for developing skilled, creative, and resilient athletes. And so going into the winter season, I thought I'd share our conversation again. Sam now works as a coach developer in the talent pathway for the AFL, based in Melbourne. We pick up the conversation hearing Sam talk about how experiencing some of the darker side of sport drives the work that he does today. Enjoy. You know, what drives you and how do you get there? It's kind of that, um, all of the experiences I've had. And so um, I guess some of the sort of some of the nitty-gritty stuff is kind of, you know, I did my undergraduate in Dunedin and, and then moved into working with AFL New Zealand, so a minority sport in the country and kind of when you work in a minority sport, you do a bit of everything. So was um, involved in doing a whole lot of school-based programs. So, you know, I might be coaching a six-year-old in the morning, a, a 14, 15-year-old in the afternoon, and then I was involved in um, sort of our, our high-performance and AFL in New Zealand and as high performance as you can kind of get there. So coaching some of our adults and so I kind of moved through that. And then obviously for me, I realised that I was quite into how um, players and athletes develop, but then you realise that coaching is so important in that because they have such a big impact on that experience. And so then that led to me getting into a bit more coach development and then realising that I needed to probably understand a bit more of the sort of academic side of some of the theory behind this, which drives um, all of our actions. And so... From that, I kind of decided I needed to do a bit more of a master's. Um, I decided I wanted to do my master's and luckily got um, linked up with you, um, which was pretty cool. Um, so I was able to then cover the topic around an area that we thought, and it's funny that you say the media attention in the last seven days, well, that was actually for the first 15 one comp. Um, that's actually what drove the reason I wanted to look at the first 15 comp um, in the first place. And this is, you know, three, four years ago because there's a whole lot of media attention about it then. So it's, it's actually been in the media quite a bit and around some of the sort of moral and ethical um, things that were happening and whether there needed to be a bit of a change and that increased professionalisation um, as well. So, well, the perceived increased professionalisation of, 
of the um, grade. So that's kind of what drove that. And then kind of off the back of that, in the middle of it, I then ended up landing a role with Auckland Rugby, which was quite handy to tie in with, with what I was looking at. But that really, and that was a coach development role. So that was really, I was there for about two and a half years. And so that really drove um, a lot of the seeing what's happening on the ground and seeing from a system point of view, but also from an individual point of view, working with coaches and all the pressures and external things that are happening to them and, you know, how the environment maybe drives some of their behaviour as well. And so my role was to try and figure out, well, how can we best help them to provide the best possible experience for their kids? Um, and then it's funny because you kind of realise that and then you kind of go back. I look back at when I was a player and you realise that actually the reason I kind of find this stuff important is because of the experiences I had when I was growing up. And it is funny because sport's always been such a, um, a wonderful part of my life. It's been so important. I played basketball and cricket all through school. I played tennis and nobody played so many things. It you know, was a major driver in the relationship with me and my dad, which has always been really close because we played um, we played sport together. We played premier cricket together because um, he's only well, he had me when we were twenty. So I played you know um, AFL with him, and he still played. He still was playing in our club team, and um, we played premier cricket together. So it was, you know all these things happened. It's been great, but. The reason I, re- I got into sort of this coach development is because some of the experiences I had, I, I saw the negative things, and you sort of started to started to go through. Actually, there's got to be a better way. You know, this can't be the way that we treat, you know, kids at this age. It seemed, and then as I got through, you sort of in the administration role, you start to see some of that as well, and the impact it has on these kids who are coming through your programs. So it's it's quite funny. I look at it and realise, yeah, some of the although sports been really wonderful, the reason I'm in this sort of area and and looking at this stuff because I see some of the negative aspects and you kind of feel like, hey, we can do better, so how can I influence that? How can I make it a better experience for kids? So maybe some kids don't have to go through some of the experiences I went through or I saw my mates go through or some of the kids that I've kind of come through my program that you think, oh, that had to have been a negative experience. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, Heath Mills uh, from the Cricket Players Association just came out recently and... It made some comments uh, in an article that was printed across New Zealand media about First 15 Rugby and the commercialisation of it down through the youth sort of sector and mainly around some of the negative effects. So we talked about the the strain on, on mental health for these 15, 16, 17-year-old kids and, and how in the elite side of the game, they're kind of having to pick up some of the pieces uh, you know, with the with the lads that do make it through to the next level, be it rugby, be it cricket, uh, and you know, so that, that's a it's a really interesting, I think, starter for a conversation around some of your work. Uh, you made some you, you made some comments in in relation to your opinion, so I'd love to to sort of jump into that now and and get your thoughts on what some of the boys will be experiencing going back into their rugby environments, um, whether or not these types of things that, uh, you know, these comments that are being made are, are actually the reality of it or whether we're cherry-picking cases, which sometimes is the case, whether we're looking at some outliers and, and making a, you know, talk, having creating a narrative around that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you were, you were in the ground, you were having conversations with players uh, from a research point of view, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on it all. I, was at, I listened um, to your um, talk with Kevin Till from Leeds Beckett 
university and they're, they're doing some really cool stuff over there and um one of the things that really like resonated with me is he talked about impact and so with all these things that are happening and they can have negative or positive impacts and so i think that's quite an important um kind of just as a starter as a framer anyway i really like that from um kevin and so you know like you say these a lot of the things that get picked up is a lot of the negative things you know but there are i guess i'll just start off with um there are some really positive things that when i'm talking to the students so um just to frame it up they're all 16 to 18 year olds who are all first 15 1a players so in the top comp in the, um in auckland secondary school and they talked about that um there's some really positive things with being a first 15 player so you know, it's a bit of a social status. It's a really important part of their um, who they are in their place in their community. And by in their community, I mean within their school environment, amongst their friends, um, with the teacher, even, you know, with, with teacher relationships and all of that. So, you know, it's a big deal. Like they see, especially in Auckland, they see the 1A comp as the greatest schoolboy rugby competition in the world. So it's quite a privilege to be playing. And, you know, it's a big thing. It's the pinnacle of any, well, they see it as a pinnacle of schoolboy sport. You know, not just in rugby, but actually in sport as a whole. Um, but and, and they have this really great sense of um, connection. Like they all, um, when we, we talked about them, we had, we sort of interviewed a few of the um, teams, a few of the players, and they all use the term brotherhood. It's a um, that connection that they have with everyone. So as a motivator for them, then it's a really important part of who they are. And I know a lot of schools um, they really try and create that connectedness, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in schools to try and build them into, you know, their student body and to say this as a school, this is who we are and this is how we represent ourselves. Well, it's the same thing with their, with their sports team, you know, and, and that sometimes even is elevated, you know, to a higher level because it's a smaller group of people that can really build that sense of team and brotherhood. And what was really interesting with that is that it was more peer-to-peer. -peer. So it was more player-to-player -player as opposed to coach down because I, I was really interested in how the coaching affected their experience but this was kind of really strong is that they go yeah the coaches can impact on that and they they do give them quite a lot of say in their value team values and things like that which help build that sense of connection of who they are as a group but it was actually that it was almost like players we're going through this together it can be pretty tough you know first 15 rugby there's a lot of commitment they got to do a lot of trainings pretty hard work on top of all the school stuff and so it was almost like hey we go through this together and we can look side by side and we know we're going through it and we're going to help each other out and so that brotherhood was really strong and so when you put it in the situation that we're going through at the moment you know they they're going to be really missing that um because to them it was really important and so that they don't have that at the moment and so where are they getting that sense of connectedness and as a motivator um you know as a motivation thing for sport you know then they need that but also just um and you know we talk about in life a meaningful connection is so important and you know there are um there's a lot of research out there that if you don't have that meaningful connection, then yeah, maybe some of the some of the well-being stuff you're going to lose. You know, a lot of depression is linked into um, other, you know, a lack of connection or a lack of meaningful connection in different aspects of your life. And so, you sort of, I I, I feel really bad for the kids who are going through it at the moment is that they're going, you know, sport may be quite a big part of their life, a big part of who they are, their identity or their self-concept, and then this is kind of being stripped away, and no one's ever really gone through this before. And in our generation or you know generations in the last few generations so we who's helping to support them through that because it's a it's a big unknown you know i can't remember the last time a season just got wiped out you know it's never happened in my life um my lifetime so that's sort of you know some of the really important stuff at the moment i think around that is there especially that sense of connection 
Yeah, I know having some conversations with some athletes that are going back into school sport now and and their reflections on the lockdown period was very much that. Uh, you know, I miss the boys or I, I miss the team. And and so you talked about the importance of connection and it. A lot of these other things in the eyes of the experiencer, I think, they fall to they fall away a little bit when when we miss that aspect of what we're doing. And some of the advice that, you know, I've been talking to people about very much is make sure that that piece is there when you get back up and running. Really champion yeah. the relationships, really champion the opportunity to um, and create environments where, where kids can just hang out with their mates um, yeah. and not, not necessarily get straight back into the nuts and bolts of performance. Um, but, you know, performance, yeah, is yeah, yeah. It, yeah, performance is important as well, right? And, and some of your research showed exactly that. So belonging, brotherhood, connection, all of these things came through uh, in your thesis yeah. uh, that these are very important to, to the environment. Um, what, what were some of the other findings that are relevant in this conversation that, that we're currently having? Yeah, I think... Um one of the other big ones is, uh, I mean, we in the in the research we were looking at, you know, the difference between, I guess, the, the what came through. Sorry, is the difference between the uh, on-field and off-field relationship with with their coaches as well. Um, and so, off-field, they actually felt like they had a lot of control, so they would come up with the team values, which, oh, you know, again, if we link back to what we were talking about before, it really links with that sense of connection and belonging, you know, they're part there, they had a say in their group and their team rules and their team values. And if someone falls out of line, they have a bit of a say in what happens to them and that they can bring them back or, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then on field, they often don't have um, a lot of say. And so you'll have a whole lot of these kids who have been away from it. And, and as a coach, and I, and I know from working with coaches and stuff, you, if they're thinking we've got um, not much time, we've got to really try and get into this stuff. If we're going to start playing and have a shortened season, we've got to get into our nuts and bolts of performance side of things. But actually, these kids want to have a feeling like they actually own part of it. They actually own part of the process. They get to express themselves when they play. They get to play with a bit of freedom. And that, in the research, came through that actually they don't, they don't feel like they have a whole lot of say and what they do when they're playing, so they can't express themselves. Coaches are telling the trainer what line-out move to do and then what back-line move to do off that, and the players kind of go, wow, it's not my fault if this doesn't work because it's, the, it's on the coaches as opposed to the players taking that personal responsibility and going, okay, this is, I'm on field, this is my decisions, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them and, and it might fit in the team plan or whatever, but they don't necessarily understand that. So if these kids are coming back and then the coaches are taking that control again, They've just gone through this whole, you know, they're missing the sport, they're missing their mates and stuff, and then they're coming back in and they're not having the opportunity to reintegrate as a group and then also have a bit of say in what they're doing when they're finally able to play this game that they you hope anyway that they love and they've been playing since they were little. You kind of hope that they get that chance to, oh, I'm on the field again, yeah, let's get into it. I'm going to express myself and the way I play and, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to really enjoy it whilst still trying to compete and, you know, have that competitive nature of the sport because they'll miss that too. Um, but it's just sort of saying, hey, as a coach, how are you facilitating that? You know, because the coach is going to be the biggest, the most important person in that group around helping to provide that or facilitate that environment. Yeah, they're the, the nurture of that environment, aren't they? And, and mm. while, while it's not 
completely up to them. They definitely have a big no. role to play mm. in, in the development of, the, of that learning space. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what's changed, if anything. And I want to provide a little bit of an anecdote here, right? Like, so I played, uh, I, I, I was in First Eleven when I was back at school. Uh, a while ago now, 20 years, just over 20 years now. And I had an experience where the coach controlled everything. Uh, I, ended up, I ended up not playing in the last year because, because of the coach at the time. We just didn't get along, and the environment that he created was, one, was such that you know, I, was, I was gone, I was out. I was looking for a little bit of choice, a little bit of autonomy that you, know, you were speaking to before, right? So... Now we're in a space where First 15 Rugby is televised. Uh, there's a lot of talk about its commercialization, filtering down into, into the youth sphere. Has it really changed that much? Like, are the coaches really being driven more so in today's era because of the possibility of status that comes with the win? Or are we just seeing it more because it's on it's on show? Like it's, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Mm. It, and I, I, I mean, I don't think that there is a clear. I don't think it's black and white that answer. Like and um, I guess on on top of that, I think maybe we also understand this stuff more, so we have a better understanding of some of the psychological stuff and and a bit of the behavioural stuff and the impact that that can have on motivation and, and that, especially in sport, because sports science is still a pretty new, you know, relatively new um, area in terms of some of the academia side of things, the academia side of things anyway. But so we're actually probably a little bit more aware of the impact that, that these things can have um, on the experience for players and we, we understand more around how actually... Um, it's a bit clearer around, oh, we know that the coach has quite a big impact on that and then also the coach is impacted by a whole lot of things. So I, I, I think to start off with, there certainly is there's more awareness around it because we, we always say, and um, anecdotally anyway, in, our, in coach development stuff, is that people will coach the way they were coached. And so if we're seeing a whole lot of people that are coaching quite dipped, um, with sort of an autocratic style, you know, well, if we're saying, well, they were probably coached that way you know, 20, 30 years ago, well, then how much has actually changed? You know, has it really changed that much in terms of coaching styles? It's like, well, we're actually probably better at understanding that we need to be more empowering um, with our coaching. So we're probably having shifted it a little bit, but certainly the, the pressure and the expectation on some of the players and some of the schools, so, and the expectation and pressure on the coaches to perform, I would believe that that has... Um, that has probably increased um, a little bit or at least been magnified. Like it's just, it is lifting a little bit. Like I remember back in, I know, you know, when I was at school, um, we, I played basketball and we were um, the top basketball side in, in Wellington. We made nationals. We came second at the national championships in my last year. Uh, I mean, we were training twice a week. We had like one morning session. So we might've done three times a week plus a game, um, two, you know, and we were a very good side. And we actually played, and then we sometimes lost that training because we would play twice a week because we would play in the men's competition as well. So they kind of said, oh, it's a rest. So we might have four sessions of basketball a week with maybe a fifth. And then in the research that I was doing with these first 15 players, you know, they're doing six, seven, eight, nine sessions a week, 
Philly rugby. You know, it's all tied in with that. And you hear from um, some of the kids in CC, some of these schools now with these sort of academy or um, rugby classes or sports classes. So not only are they doing it outside of school, you know, after school or before school, they're then doing it in school. It's part of their, so it's become part of the curriculum. So the, it has just been magnified in terms of how much they're having to do. And so that that has definitely changed. Like I know my mates that play first 15 rugby at school and, and they, I talk to them about it and I go, how many times have you guys training? They're like, oh, no. We would do twice a week. You know, they didn't even do a captain's run or anything that's become, you know, fashionable now. So it, it certainly, the, it's sort of been, like, I always think of it like an arms race. It's like one group does more, it's quite successful. So another group does more and is successful, especially at that age. It does seem to be for a while more was getting better results. Maybe a little bit more coach control can get some better results, but is that to the detriment of the experience for the player? That's the sort of big question. So we're certainly seeing, and the research certainly came through, that these players feel there's a lot of expectation and pressure on them to perform um, to the point where a kid, you know, one kid was talking about the fact that he wasn't even worried about getting, getting better. He just didn't want to make mistakes. So uh, I'm not worried about, you know, necessarily doing the right thing or doing the best thing or being the best I can be. I just don't want to make mistakes because I don't want to get yelled at. And I don't want to, you know, and then there's still, you know, I don't want to let the team down, which is fine, but it doesn't allow them to develop. And you were talking about 16 to 18 year olds. It's a really key part of the development as players. Um, so that fear of failure comes through quite a lot because of the pressure. Yeah, so you've had some time to reflect on some of the findings that came out of your Masters. Uh, you, you've, you've talked a bit about it over the last little while as well, and these people are starting to come to you in this space, which I think is awesome. Uh, so where, where, where would you go if, you know, if someone sat down with you who was working with the First 15 side, uh, on one hand and then potentially on, a, on another hand administrating the competition, what are some of the recommendations that you would provide? Because where the rubber hits the road is a very tough place to be, right? And, and that's where we're at. It's easy, it's easy to, to scorn in the, in the media. It's easy to say that these are the problems, right? But ultimately we want solutions. Uh, so, you know, love, love to get your thoughts on that question. Yeah, and it's certainly not one size fits all. And I think that's one of the key things. It's not, and because we're talking, um, I mean, it's hard. And I'm a big, um, and I know you and I talked about this, but I'm a big uh, believer. I have become quite a big believer in that environment drives a lot of behaviour as well. So you can, we can take coaches and um, people or players and coaches and stuff, we can take them from one environment to another and we actually see a different set of behaviours and you know, I've seen it both ways. We take someone in from who has been a great and like quite a free environment, allow them to do a lot. You put them in a really highly ultra competitive environment, and suddenly it's like it's like a different person, and and vice versa. Um, so it's not one size fits all. But I do believe the biggest thing that seems to have got lost a little bit, and I and that's one thing I quite liked about that Heath Mills article. He kind of probed it a bit. Was actually just saying, well, what's the purpose of what are we trying to achieve? And it may be different for different schools, you know, and that's why from a competition point of view, it can be quite hard. And because it may be different for different people within a school. But what are we actually trying to achieve? What's our purpose for this, for this team and at, at this age group? What are, we, what are we wanting to get? And, you know, we might see a little bit of a different, we sometimes see difference in what people say and then what they actually do, which is really hard. Um, it's sort of like, well, actually, we're just trying to, are we trying to develop 
these players to be the best that they can be and the best that they can be at 24, 25, 26, 27, 28 um, when they get a bit older. So that's always a starting point. And then I, my recommendation to schools would be you need to talk to your kids, find out what they actually want to achieve, find out how it's impacting them. Um, all the kids that I talked to when I used to finish the um, focus groups, I'd sort of say to them, hey, thanks very much for letting some random guy come and talk to you and asking you how you feel about all the stuff it can be a bit weird. And they all said, like every single one of them said, nah, it was great. Can you come back next week? We'll talk to you again because something will probably happen this weekend and we want to talk to you about it. But there was just a chance. No one had talked to them. No one talked to them like that and asked them actually, how does this impact? What is, you know, how does your coaching, how does the coaching behavior make you feel? So talk to the kids and then build a program around that. Also, on the, just to add to that, it's probably, I'm starting to see that when you start to really read into a lot of the learning and the development of people, and I'm talking, you know, um, psycho, psychosocial, um, cognitive, physical development, I don't know how many of these programs, and I say, I say programs, these first 15 programs and other sport programs that take that into account. So we see a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of research, and I always use the example of sleep. You know, there's a lot of research that says the circadian rhythm of um, people going through adolescence that shifts. So they start to, they will want to go to sleep later. And there's a generalisation. And then we see a lot of these programs, you know, we kids getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go to a six o'clock gym session. And sleep deprivation has a lot of negative impact on these kids. And the kids themselves talked about that it was really hard. They, were, they felt like they were going to fall asleep towards the end of school and it was quite hard to then have another training. So how many of these programs are, you know, and this is not to say don't have morning trainings, but it's just saying, hey, are you taking that into account in your um, program? And I just feel that, with, you know, there's a lot of research out there and there's a lot of evidence now on some of these things and you can use that to build your program. So it's a little bit more evidence-based and then talk to the kids and then kind of play around with it um, as, they, as they go and figure out what works and what doesn't. But the kids have got to have a say because they just often don't, I think. So what would they say if you sat down with a bunch of those uh, those athletes and said, what is it that you're trying to get out of the experience? And I think one of the things to consider too is the the biases from a, a young person's point of view based on their past experiences. Because uh, there's a lot of compliance in the world, right? Particularly yeah. as, yeah. you know, in the world of secondary school, in the world of young people, where getting past the point where they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear um, can be quite difficult. So, although, you know, your experiences would suggest that they really enjoy talking about these things when they've given an opportunity to to explore um, and, and to feel safe. We know psychological safety is really important when it comes to things. So so what would they say? What would, you know, the experiences of First 15 Rugby, what do you want out of it? What is What is it for? What would the kids say? And it'll differ. That's the thing. It, it's different. You know, we, we ran focus groups and we might have had you know, eight to ten kids in each group and it was different for all of them, you know. And there were common, there are common themes and common, common uh, threads that you can pull um, that kind of provide a bit of, a, of an overall picture, but it's certainly different for them. And so that's always one thing that's got me is actually all these kids, they're in it for different reasons. Um, you know, they're, they're all competitive. They all want to do the best for their team. You know, they want to they go as well as they can. Um, but for some of them, 
you know, the fact that they got told they weren't allowed to play other sports was a really negative, negative experience for them because they enjoyed playing basketball. And then they got told, well, you, you're not allowed to anymore. And they're like, well, well I'm the 25th player in the squad. I'm only playing five, 10 minutes a game. Why, why can't I play basketball on a Friday, Friday night? Because I actually enjoy it and, I get it and, and I'm quite good at it. And, uh, you know, I'm only 16, 17. You know, for others, it's like, well, no, I'm just going to, I'm entirely on rugby and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to that and so that was you know and, and I want to be a professional rugby player and that's my goal so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive to that um, yet a lot of these programs had a bit of a blanket rule so it sort of didn't take into account the individual differences which is tough when you've got 30 or 40 kids you know it's really tough it's quite a lot of work to create a program that allows for those things whilst trying to keep it fair and you know well, why can this person do this and this person do that but it's actually saying, well, actually, we're trying to meet, we're trying to meet the needs of the kids that we have here. So they'll, they'll talk about that. They'll talk about um, if, you, if you talk to them, some of the things that came through um, quite strong. It's like they, they'll, they'll tell you straight away they don't want to do two trainings a day, and um, they don't want to do a morning and a night. That came through really strong. They'd rather do one every day then do two in one day and then not do one the next day because they said two is just too hard with school. And it was just a massive commitment um, for them. Uh, they'll, they'll say, can just talk to us. Can you help explain why we're doing things? Because if, if we don't know why, then that, that makes it hard. Um, is that a time pressure? Do you, think, do you think that the, uh, we're, we're going to do what I think is best for you because we need to get it done? Like... And we need to get it done yeah, and, now. And the kids, yeah, and the funny thing is the kids, um, you know, and it's not to say that they, they were like, hey, our coaches are great, you know, we, we, we get on well with our coaches and stuff. And then when you, when you unpack it a bit, there's some things that they go, oh, yeah, that, maybe that wasn't so great and that actually impacted me a little bit negatively. But overall, you know, saying, the funny thing is they sort of said, one of the quotes from the kids was talking about that actually... Like, it's fine if it's the coach's decision for our game plan or something, but could we at least have a bit of input in it? And if we have a bit of input and then we can talk about it and discuss it and then we can decide what's going on. And if we end up going with the coaches, that's cool, but we'll understand why. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, if you think from anything from a performance aspect, like if they don't believe in, if they don't understand the why or believe in it, then when things change and you're in a complex environment and things are moving really fast and you've got to make decisions like that, then you need to be able to do that understanding why, or else you just do them. And then if it's actually not the right time to do something, you know, you can't adapt or you can't adjust based off still trying to achieve your outcome. So um, I think that it is a time pressure from coaches. And there certainly is if things aren't going well, you know, some of the kids talked about if things aren't going so well, it almost like it closed in, the coaches took more control back, which is a, it's a, you know, that is quite common in a lot of environments, you know, because coaches are feeling pressures from above them as well, external pressures on them. So, you know, it's become such a, you know, it is an environment where the coaches are paid um, for a lot of the ways. It's almost a stepping stone to professional um, contracts as a coach now, first 15 rugby as opposed to necessarily club rugby. Um, so you sort of see that and, you realise these coaches have got a lot of pressures because they're trying to keep a job and, and um, keep the success of the school going. Just a quick break to talk to you about my new program, The Athlete Environment. 
When I began working in sport, I just worked with young athletes. I spent hours developing my approach to engaging a young person effectively and to deliver the best possible training experience. But I realized that there was a missing piece in the sports development puzzle. While my athletes were getting supported, no help was available for their parents who wanted to provide the best possible support that they could. This seemed crazy considering a youth athlete spends considerably more time at home than they do in the sport. From my experience as a parent and from my conversations with a lot more, I've learnt that while many times you get it right, sometimes it's really tough going. And I've also learnt that when it comes to being at your best, connecting and learning from other like-minded people is one of the best things that you can do. And so I thought, if I can bring passionate, committed sports parents together, we can have a ripple effect well beyond my own efforts. So what I've done is I've taken everything I know and I've created the athlete environment. It's for parents with high-performing kids in sport. It's a place where you'll discover powerful stories, conversations and resources to help you grow. In less than eight weeks, you'll develop a toolkit to create the environment at home for your child so that they can thrive as an athlete and fulfill their potential in multiple domains. You'll also have a safe place to discuss your concerns, ask questions, and connect with like-minded parents. Being surrounded by people who are on the same journey makes the world of difference. The Athlete Environment community is a bunch of people who come together around shared values, aspirations, and a commitment to being our best selves. I'm looking for founding members of the Athlete Environment right now. So if you'd like to join, you can check it out, athletedevelopmentproject.com forward slash environment. Once again, if you want to check it out, you can see all the information on athletedevelopmentproject.com forward slash environment. And now back to the show. One of the things that's come up a couple of times so far in our conversation, Sam, is this idea of learning. And I'm interested in how much you believe coaches understand about learning. Uh, and the reason I ask is, you know, you, you talked about the, the ability to be adaptable on the field. Uh, and, you know, how, how that comes to pass is a lot to do, has a lot to do with what happens during the week in the training environment, um, the way that the brain actually, you know, connects neurons, experiences those yep. experiences, uh, and then, you know, in the performance context, has the ability to solve different problems based on their past experiences. Yet, yeah. we also know that the research will show that if you want change quickly, uh, then something like a drill. Um, doing it over and over and over again in a very, uh, what David Epstein would define as a kind performance or learning environment where there's not too much complexity, which is not the first 15 rugby environment, by the way, uh, then the best way to do that is just repetition. Drill, 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 right? So it, it almost seems like coming from a place of education around learning, saying, well, this is this can be a performance conversation as well, um, not just a it's for the well-being of our boys, right? Which can get a little bit, yeah. And I and I struggle saying this, but it gets a little bit kind of fluffy. Um, yeah, a little bit wishy. I know what you mean. It almost seems a little bit wishy-washy. We'll hold hands, and you know, and that always gets thrown back at 
it does get thrown back at you into it that oh well it's all old hands and sing kumbaya and that that sort of environment it's like well yeah but i i totally agree and that sort of that performance and learning um environment becomes so so important and it's and we, you know we're still talking about in the school environment we're talking about 16 to 18 year old kids and so i i we, we talk about to our coaches you know are you and i like that this quote um you know are you setting up your practice or your training for learning or are you setting it up for success and by success i don't mean success in the long term to go to the game but success in the right here right there so does the drill look good you know because they're all it's all success and everyone looks happy and everyone's going to high five and we all feel really good but then there's no transferability to the game situation where it's a complex fast moving environment um so i guess for your first to the question um i i've been doing a lot of that's kind of where i guess for me personally that my next step is really i've been doing a lot of reading on on learning and how people learn um and then a, a lot that not just in like a sport environment but just in life in general and i think there's so many untapped um there's a really untapped potential there to really draw, to really bring a lot of that in to actually um what we're doing so that you know on the practical side of things how we're actually driving these kids this learning and so there's so much with sports probably a little bit behind when it comes down to that sort of level um i think up higher it seems to it seems to have kind of come in a little bit but certainly down um at the school level and club level and then you get into the community level that how people learn and, and what is good skill so it's not about me being able to do it just closed here but actually it's that persistent achievement in a variety of performance contexts that's the way i kind of see it so whatever happens can you get the outcome that you need you know so can i i've got to get it from a to b but there's all this stuff going on well and can i do it in a variety of ways the more ways that i can do it you know that in skill learning they talk about affordances and things so the opportunities there can i do it in lots of different ways because if i can do that you're going to be pretty good but we're seeing the kids talk about because there's so much control they've kind of been told this is the way you have to do it and so does that and they I think I, I think my my bias when kids talk about expressing themselves, I think is that opportunity to do that. You know, to take them to that kids want to be able to express themselves. They want to be able to try something, and we know from learning that's actually the best one of the best ways to learn is to try it, have a go. You know, and then if you, you can't do it, well, why not? We can work it out, and then there's a coach that's around unpacking that and going, well, you know, in this situation, yeah, was that the was that actually the best option? Probably not. Did you see the best option? So. There's so much untapped potential there in terms of bringing a whole lot of that learning, a lot of that learning theory um, into what we do with these kids. Because if we start thinking that long-term development, this is such a critical part for them. And if we can remove the pressure and allow them to do that, that's going to only help them, I, I believe, it's only going to help them as they get a bit older because they'll have gone through all those experiences of a bit of failure um, and understand and being able to understand, well, that didn't work, that didn't try these things. and and sort of be the best that they can be later. From all of your experience working with coaches, what helps to drive that sort of change, that skill learning change, that understanding of a, a really sort of nutritious learning environment? Um, I do, do, no, do no, you I think don't. it needs change? Like, I mean, you're suggesting that we don't understand it well enough. Like, uh, is that is that a big part of the work that we need to do as education around learning? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it is. I and I, I think that's a big like area where we can get 
a lot of um, along with just sort of like a bit more reflection <laughs> i think a big thing is getting coaches to understand reflection and been and working through it so they plan it's almost like a just it's a pretty simple plan do review but how they actually reflect in that self-awareness um piece and the impact that things they're having so being able to talk like oh, you sort of you just talk to the kids but you do something and then you go and um reflect on it and talk to people and talk to the kids and how did that impact okay well that didn't go as well as i hoped it would so we'll just change that up so that's kind of the big areas but certainly i I know, I know over here with my with my new role with the AFL, once kind of everything gets started, I'd, a big area for us is around that coach learning. So the coach learning piece, and one thing I've started to realise is that coach education at the moment is we're going to do a whole lot of stuff in pre-season for you um, because that's when we believe you've got the time and then we're going to pump you with a whole lot of information and then go and do it. And... You know, we're just starting to now get some systems built up with these people whose roles are to actually help develop coaches as they go through it. But the big thing for us is actually, well, how do we help coaches to get better whilst they're doing it? You know, we, there's a big belief over here in the AFL is that a lot of the, a lot of the learning, 70% of it needs to be on to the, on the job type thing. So actually while you're doing it. So then, you know, with my role, the big piece that we're trying to come up with, okay, so when we develop some of our online content for coaches, how do we make sure that they can apply it in their coaching and then reflect on it? So that's the big that's the big piece for us is now going, we need to build so all our education staff, or education, I prefer the term development. Um, the development staff is all around, here's, here's a bit of information. How are you going to apply it in your context? Go and apply it and then reflect on how you applied it and did it help. And then go and do it again. And so that's kind of where we want to end up because I think that's going to have the biggest impact rather than hold all the stuff at the start and then hopefully you go and do it um, because that's, we know that sort of helps those coaches if they can actually do it and see the impact of it, then to answer your question, that's where they'll actually go, oh, okay, that does work or that doesn't work or I need to do that slightly differently, just like we wanted them to do with players. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a real powerful recommendation is to have the little birdie on your shoulder saying, how did that go? Or mm. what if we changed this? Uh, and you know, you can do that in two ways currently. You, you can have a mentor there. And it, in my conversations on, on this podcast, mentorship is massive and it comes through in so many of the conversations with uh, not only the, the athletes that I talk to, but also the, the researchers and the coaches. Yeah. They've all had important mentorship throughout their development journey, and which has just shown them that there are other ways of doing things. There's perspective that's yeah. really, really, really important. And, and often I, I just don't think you're going to get it unless you invest in bringing someone specifically in to challenge yeah. your paradigm. Yeah. We're just going to yeah, reinforce and, what we're already doing, aren't we? Yeah, and, and certainly as a coaching group, I mean, that's what you hear, you know, especially when you hear of coaching groups that have been quite successful and they, they talk about, they brought coaches in who are going to challenge them and it's not yes, you know, they say it's not yes men. So that it's that, um, it's that ability to challenge. I've just been... Um, I know you've been watching like the last dance and um, stuff and being really big on that and the same. And I've just over here now in Australia, I've been watching the test, which is about the Australian cricket team after they'd gone through um, all of the issues around sandpaper gate and everything. And they were trying to rebuild and Justin Langer um, got announced as their coach. And one of the episodes I was watching the other day, 
he's a very caring, he's quite a caring coach and he understands all those principles and stuff. And then he'd been doing it for about four weeks and then the team was having a struggle. So he gave them a bit of a spray in the sheds after one of their games. Where he said, this performance is just not like, good enough. But then you see him go to the, they then show the coaches meeting after that. So they have all of the coaching staff. So it's all of them there. And the first question he asks is, all right, I need your honest opinion. What was your feeling about what I just said in the changing rooms? So straight away, that's that he's got, you know, 10 birdies on his shoulder to say, he goes, what do you think? Was it right? Was it wrong? Um, you know, how did you, what was the impact of it? And so then they're able to unpack that as well, which for me as a coach of our player, you look at that and go, wow. Yeah, he felt he had to do something, but then afterwards he's going, okay, was that the right thing? And so that's only going to help him learn. Mm, it's a theory. Um, and he's it's got... A- it's a real awareness of the ego, isn't it? Mm. To be able to do yeah. that, I think, is quite special. Yeah. And so, you know, I look at it, I'm watching this from a, you know, my coach development hat on, I'm going, wow, like, that is, that is cool. And, you know, and you, he's got some pretty powerful people and you know, he's got, you know, Ricky Ponting, you know, ex-captains of Australia, Adam Gilchrist, they're all in the room, ex-players, and they're happy to challenge, challenge him on it as well. Um, you know, and they go, oh, look, well, now we totally understand and we think that it was probably the right time, so well done. You know, and so they, you know, and they've all probably got their relationships with players so they can they can tap on that, find out how that impacts. So it was really cool to watch and you kind of go, yeah, that's that self-awareness. Um, that it's not just like do something and then that's it. It's like, well, when we do that, what's the impact of that? So, I mean, just, just to wrap this one up, Sam, in, in terms of those environments now that are, that are happening out there and, Zealand schools, uh, where kids are back back into trainings and people are starting to think about the first game, which is uh, not not too far away. Where, where should yeah, the focus? Fingers crossed. Yeah, where where should the focus lie for the coaches and and also for the for the athletes? Um, you know what's important for them to remember. Because often we um, you know they're they're just a. We, we want to empower the athlete as well and, and not necessarily just rely on the environment to provide, mm. you know, yeah. the, the nutrition that they're going to need, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the big thing is that, like, is making sure that there's that enjoyment piece. And I say enjoyment um, because what, what you enjoy about something or what you enjoy about the sport can be different and it can develop over time. I remember that... Um, one of the coolest things I've seen on that is the RPA, Rugby Players Association, did a video um, which had Hanson talk about the fact that you needed to make sure that players were the orbit, you know, at the orbit level that they were enjoying it. And then you you hear um, a whole lot of the players talking about what they enjoy about rugby. And the cool thing is you kind of hear some of them talk about what it was like when they were a kid and then when it, what it was like, you know, when they were five, six, seven, eight, and then when they were 15, 16, 17, 18, and then as a professional. And so what you enjoy actually changes and develops. And so as a kid, they enjoyed just going out and being with their friends and getting to, um, you know, play a sport and scoring a try and doing something cool and my dad cheering for you. And then when they got a bit older, it was around, well, the challenge of it. So, the, you know, the competitive edge things, they enjoyed the challenge and trying to push themselves. And then when they were, you know, a bit higher, that was, you know, enjoy it around just trying to achieve a goal. So... It, it develops with them. So, so I would think it's a big thing is like making sure you've got that enjoyment for the kids, but finding out what it is that kind of drives them and then being able to provide that in, in your trainings and in your sessions. Um, so I, I think that's kind of a key thing when all these all these kids have been isolated from their mates for so long. Yeah, there's social media, but it's not the same as 
you know, actual physical connection. And so being able to facilitate that connection and then providing an environment that's really enjoyable and allowing them to um, meet some of the other needs, you know, allowing them to achieve and challenging them and all of that, that stuff that they actually enjoy and, you know, seeing them wanting to get better. I think that's kind of one of the important things as we, as we come back. Yeah, awesome, Sam, mate. Well, uh, just for those that are listening out there, uh, you know, if they've got any questions, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, you know, yell out, say hi. Yeah, yeah, if they just uh, want to get in touch, I'm, well, I'm on LinkedIn <laughs> as well, but also um, always happy to get in touch with whether they want to uh, email me or um, message me anyway. Um, they, can, they can get in touch, and I'm happy to provide you with those details, Craig, if you want to check them up. Yeah, mate, we'll drop those in the show notes. So... Yeah, it's been awesome. I think it's a, it's an important conversation to have is, you know, when we're experiencing changes like this is to, to get the input from mm. a, a voice that isn't necessarily entrenched in any particular corner. Uh, so, yeah, it's been really fun having this conversation, Sam. Um, I hope things kick off for you uh, in across the ditch <laughs> pretty soon. Uh, I know that you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs a little bit at the minute, so... Yeah, maybe we can have some more of these conversations in the meantime. No, thanks very much, Greg. Always great chatting with you.